So on your screen there you have the, uh, the first message in Advent which I've entitled, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Who used to play hide and seek? <laughs> and you'd say those words, wouldn't you? Ready or not, here I come. They're the words of Jesus today in our readings. Ready or not, here I come. Very interesting, isn't it, that he actually compares his coming with the days of Noah. Compares it to people eating and drinking and not really caring. And you might look out at the world and say, well, no one cares about Jesus. Well, Jesus made those words because he knew the condition of the world, both in his first coming and at his second coming. But the question is not for the world. The church is really good at critiquing the world. We're experts at it. Why don't we have a look inside ourselves, inside the church, rather than always critiquing the world? With a cross and the forgiveness of sins, we can do that. And what Jesus is actually saying is in what condition will your heart be as one of his brothers and sisters, as a child of the Father? What condition will your heart be in when he appears? Now that could be at the time of your death. His second coming could be when he comes to take your breath. That could be at any time. And at any time, He could appear in the clouds of glory as the Son of Man. And He's not saying, will I find a sinlessly perfect people? No, He's not saying that. He's saying, will I find my people living in my grace, in my resurrection life, and awaken to me in a relationship? With him. So let's say it in another way. When Jesus returns, apart from his glorious appearance and the distinction that will be there because he is Jesus, will you know him? No, not will you know what he is, what he looks like? Not did you know about him? But do you know him relationally, intimately? That's what it is for the church to look inside and to stop critiquing the world. That's what we need to ask ourselves and it shouldn't be a threat. It's not a threat because if Jesus comes back and finds you in sin, in darkness, and what I mean by that is living in darkness, living unrepentant. He comes back and finds you that way. You will be wondrously saved, but you will be shocked. He finds you playing around with things you shouldn't be playing around with and he happens to appear. You will be embarrassed. Saved, but embarrassed by it. I mean, no one wants their dad or their mum to come in and find out what they're doing when they're secretly doing things they shouldn't be doing. 
You don't do that, do you? So when you sin apart from your parents, you actually have to do what? To get away from them. And then you have to make sure that they don't actually find out that you've done it. And if they do, how do you immediately feel? Well, it's very hard to own up, isn't it, children? It's very hard to come clean, even with loving, gracious, forgiving parents. And thank God parents don't do anything wrong anymore. And we as adults don't have to fear that. No, that's what Jesus is saying to us adults here today. If you're playing around with sin, and I mean playing around with it with the knowledge that it's bad for you, by the grace of forgiveness, Jesus Christ has put sin to death, therefore you can too. What is the creed in our baptism? What's the famous Lutheran creed? The old man has been drowned out and daily we drown him out. And as Luther says, the old bugger can swim. but he's been daily drowned out. Therefore, why do we daily put him to death so that we can live consistently with the new man in Jesus Christ? So in Isaiah 2.2, we have this incredible image of the way in which God can keep and will keep his people fresh right till the very end in your last breath. So who's worried here that they might not be sustained in worship to God to the very end? We have some older, elderly brothers and sisters here. I won't mention their names, but they live for the kingdom of God. They don't caravan around Australia. They don't live for themselves. They live for the kingdom of God. They're finishing the race. What a witness that is for us younger ones. Sustained in service and worship, not in their own strength, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they perfect? No. And how do you want to finish your days? Do you want to finish your days like that? Or do you want to finish your days making it about you? Which is more rewarding in the end? And so this text is such a beautiful text because the promise is this, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Those days are now in Jesus Christ. You probably think, what on earth is the mountain of the house of the Lord? Who's thinking that? Apart from Mal's honesty, who's thinking, what on earth is the mountain of the house of the Lord? Two people who have got... Two people who have got their hands free to put up. Has anybody else got freedom to put their hand up and say, yeah, I actually don't know what it means. Well, the mountain of the house of the Lord is the Father's presence. His awesome presence. So, you know, if I was to pick on Adam because he's a pastor and he studied the Scriptures and I would say to him, Adam, where did God dwell in the Old Testament, where was he famously known for dwelling? Adam would say, on Mount Zion. And no one dared go up Mount Sinai except Moses. And here you have the reverse. Not only are people not daring to go up to the mountain of the presence of the Lord, you have people 
streaming up. So the house of the Father is simply the presence of the Father in who? Who's the Father dwelling? Jesus Christ. So Jesus said when he was about to go to the cross or early in John, he said, if you destroy this temple, meaning his body, I will raise it up again in three days. Are you the body of Christ? Where are you then? You are in the awesome presence of God the Father in Jesus Christ. So how do you stay fresh? Well, who is the one who worships the Father? Who is the person who perfectly offers worship to the Father uninterruptedly, in endless love, in perfect communion? Is it the church or is it Jesus Christ? So, who here thinks that they come to worship God this morning? And I don't mean that in a secret kind of way, but very often we say we come to worship God, don't we? Well, I read a chapter of a book recently and it said the people who are the most tired in the church are those who are thinking they are making their offerings to God. They're offering their time, their talents, their energy, their money and at the centre they think they're worshipping God. Brothers and sisters, we by the Holy Spirit are joined to the worship of the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a heavenly sanctuary to the Father. And the Spirit catches us up into that worship and sustains us there. Therefore, the energy for worship, the energy for sustained service is actually coming through Jesus Christ. The energy to remain in the faith to remain in that worship is by the Spirit. And so you get tired, don't you, in a working week. And some of you have arguments, don't you? Thank God I don't. And in those arguments you feel your sin, don't you? You get weary. What refreshes you? What redirects your life up the mountain. Notice the word flow. Has anybody ever seen a stream come down a mountain? You have. That's pretty normal though, isn't it? Streams come down a mountain. Have you ever seen a stream go up a mountain? I tried to type it into Google. I couldn't even find uh, a magical stream going up a mountain. Why the imagery? So why the imagery of people and nations not just flowing up a mountain, flowing up the highest mountain? Why such imagery? Anybody got any idea? Esme? Amen. Yes. It's showing the impossibility of it, but then the miraculousness of God actually doing it. And so the vision is to encourage our hearts to believe in the miracle 
of divine grace in the Lord Jesus Christ that will continue to direct you into service of the Father in Jesus Christ all of your days. So where sin, have you ever heard the saying, sin weighs you down? So where sin would drag you down the mountain, you don't get dragged down. Do you know that sin is no longer the issue for the Christian in the end? If Christ has once for all made a sacrifice for sins and your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west and all your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, sin's no longer really the problem for you being weighed down in fatigue, spiritual sloth, dryness and being dragged down, is it? What's the real problem? Would it be believing that? Would it be actually trusting in that and just participating in that all the time? It sounds funny to say that sin is no longer a problem because it really is. But with the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of the conscience from guilt by the blood of Jesus Christ, once for all, the writer to the Hebrews says, we are thrust out of dead works to serve and worship the living God. So when people actually come and say certain things to me as someone who's in pastoral care and they're struggling with their life, I've actually worked out something very significant. If they were to trust the blood of Jesus Christ for their conscience, if they were to trust that through a clear conscience they can serve the living God, they would actually have to stop worshipping their idols. And lo and behold, people like us still have problems with idolatry. The issue is not whether or not God has brought us into the sanctuary. He's brought us into the sanctuary. The issue is, are we going to worship Him the way He commands us to worship Him through the blood of Jesus Christ? There's no reason why any one of you should go home today in the guilt of sin. There's no reason why any one of us should go home sleepy or drowsy. Except the fact that no one likes to be awakened from a good sleep, do they? Who's grumpy when you get awakened from a good sleep? And so there are many Christians who get grumpy because the Lord is trying to wake them up. Don't wake me up, I'm having a really good snooze. So worship can be very orthodox and it can be very stale. It can be legal worship. And so the promise here, and you've got to read it as a promise, is that all of your days, there will be a flow of the Spirit's grace. That is an ocean that redirects, renews refreshes, revives your life in Jesus Christ. 
we should just stop there really and say, do you believe that? All of your days, all of your days, there's going to be a flow. It's a miracle, I know. And in verse 3, we have the redirected life of those who are living in the stream of God's grace who say, come, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go teaching and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. If you look closely, what you have there is a redirected life. You've got this now, you've got this voluntary come in the heart. See, Sunday morning worship is now what I call in the front door, out the back door, when you feel like it. When you feel like it, postmodern people, do you feel like it? No, so we don't do it. So we have swinging doors. Do you know where the pinnacle of the mountain of the house of the Lord is the pinnacle? It's in gathered worship of the saints. Yes, you worship every day as you go to work and you serve the Lord in devotion, but the pinnacle, the pinnacle of the Father's celebration of his people is when they gather in the name of Jesus. In that holy name that honours the Father and when we gather in his name together as brothers and sisters, the pinnacle of the mountain of the house of the Lord is present to us and we've lost something of the awesomeness and the reverence of God. I'm not the only one to say that. So, We can have Sunday worship or we can't have it. It doesn't make much of a difference. I don't even need to read my Bible because I don't feel like it. The reverence for God has gone. Yet that redirected life, have a look at the redirected life in grace that actually flows. What do they say? Come, let us, there's community, Do you see a brother struggling? Do you see a sister struggling? What do you say to them? Come. Come let us. Come let us, one father, one family, one son, one spirit, one baptism. Come let us go to the house of the Lord together to hear the word, to have the sacrament. And what's the promise of the sacrament? Under the word. It will refresh and renew you. So here is a redirected life towards the Word and Holy Sacrament and there's a hunger and a thirst for God Himself. I have to say this and confess this, that very often my hunger and thirst is for what God gives me or what He can give me. But this hunger and thirst is just for God Himself. For who He is, So listen to what Noel Jew has to say here about the new desire God gives to his people. Noel Jew says the means of grace, the hearing of the gospel, the sacraments, worship, fellowship, 
and prayer are gifts to keep us mindful of our union in Christ. To keep our minds from being conformed to this world and its patterns and to continue to revive in us the love of God for one another. Why did he write that? Because of the need. Who knows George Muller here? Who's, who knows him but didn't put their hand up? <laughs> George Muller is one of the greatest Christian people of all time. He was Lutheran. I always try to quote Lutheran people. But he had orphanages all over England and he never ever asked for a dime of money from a human being. He wanted to know that the will and the work was always God's and he was a man of prayer. Just recently I read a part of his morning devotion and he said this, he's got hundreds of orphans, orphanages to take care of. Busy man, probably as busy as many of us in this room. He said, my first thing that I do in the morning after 10 years of failing to do it properly is to make sure my soul is happy in the Lord. The first thing I do is I don't worry about who I'm going to serve that day. I don't worry about even glorifying God's name. The first thing I do is to get my soul into a happy state through the word of the Lord. What a flow of discipline of grace. And he said, my prayer life just took off from there. He said, I prayed like I've never prayed before. Where he used to actually pray and then read the Bible. See, that new directed life is not actually arguing about the Lord's ways. It's not having something in its heart saying, it's actually saying, Lord, I really want to do your will. It's a redirected life. It's a life that if Christ was to appear today, we would say, Lord Jesus. And he would say, you have been doing what you have been meant to be doing. As simple as that. And look, when you serve the Lord, you're only doing what you're meant to be doing. It's nothing flash. It's what you were created for. And when you love him, well, that's what you were meant to do. He gives you the power to love him, so you're, not, you're just doing what you're meant to do. And the final vision is this. And they shall beat their, plough, beat their swords into ploughshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light. Uh, who knows what ploughshares are? What's a ploughshare, Mal? So, rather than taking ploughshares and beating each other with them or taking swords and stabbing each other in the heart with our words or with violence, what we have here is a reconciled community in the Lord Jesus Christ that actually is no longer at war anymore. Brothers and sisters, Christ's reconciliation of the nations and the church is so complete 
that we actually are no longer at war with any person. That means in Christ and by the fulfilment of his law, we can love and be at peace with God and everyone here. Who thinks the bar's a bit high? See, look at it. And the thing is, they will, they will not learn war anymore. We actually have to learn what it is to not fight with the weapons of the flesh, don't we? I mean, if I sat down with some husband and wives here today and we talked about the way in which we respond to one another, we may find that we have taken up occasionally the sword. But here the power is in Christ that we actually can learn not to operate that way anymore. And so in John 1, 7 it says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Communion of the heart where we love one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, promise. We have fellowship with one another and we still sin against one another because the blood of Jesus goes on cleansing us from all sin. So, hear this in Isaiah. Come, O house of Jacob, and walk in the light, in the light of the blood of the Lamb by which all your sins have been forgiven and by which you can worship the Father and express that in Jesus Christ in fellowship with your brothers and your sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.